This is Retail Retold, the story of how that store ended up in your neighborhood. I'm your host, Chris Ressa, and I invite you to join my conversation with some of the retail industry's biggest influencers. This podcast is brought to you by DLC Management. Welcome to Retail Retold, everyone. Today, I'm joined by Chef Daniel Holtzman, the owner of Danny Boy's famous original pizza in Los Angeles. I'm excited for him to be here. Welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. We're, uh, we're, we're talking from 3,000 miles apart, so miracle. It's a miracle. Um, so uh, truly excited for you to be here. Daniel, why don't you tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do? What do I do? Um, I'm trying to figure that out. <laughs> I, um, I guess I grew up in New York City. Um, I fell in love with uh, working in restaurants from a very, very young age, kind of like a um, crime of opportunity. Uh, you know, got into the job as a delivery boy to pizzeria and started working as a delivery boy to a Mexican restaurant, found my way into the kitchen. Got really lucky. Um, uh, a friend of mine from high school worked in, or her father was the kind of boss of a really fancy French restaurant. So I got to work there when I was very young and got exposed to that. And, you know, got a lot of positive feedback from folks around saying, wow, you're so young and you're working at this fancy restaurant. So I kind of stuck with it. Um, and uh, I opened, I guess I opened my first restaurant in my kind of like mid late twenties um, in San Francisco. And then uh, it didn't work at all. So I moved to New York and opened a restaurant with my best friend um, called Meatball Shop, which was quite popular. Folks, we, we opened a few of them. I mean, we opened seven or eight in kind of kind of rapid succession. Um, and most recently, I find myself living in Los Angeles, um, where my big brother lives with, with two very cute babies, um, who I uh, spend a lot of time with, and a wife. And, um, and and my wife, um, and uh, and I opened this pizzeria uh, about a year ago now. I think we're coming up on our one year anniversary, which is time flies when you're working every day. <laughs> yeah, that's who, that's who I am. I make pizza every single day for a living. I actually stretch <laughs> top and put the pizza in the oven all was day. Was this every the day. first? Was this the first? Was this the first? Um, restaurant that you owned the the pizzeria no i i am um, i've i mean my first restaurant i was saying like when i was about 27 i opened a restaurant in san francisco that i had kind of a little piece of um you know most of the time when you you're you know i, I guess everybody's got a different path but you know i didn't have any i didn't have a lot of dough so not a lot of, a lot of cash not a lot of dough and cash not a lot of cash now i got a lot of dough um that was like a pizza joke um the, um, uh, I owned like 10% of the original restaurant. You know what I mean? Like I was the chef partner kind yeah. of, they gave me a 10% stake. That was my first restaurant. And then <clears throat> when we opened the meatball shop, my partner, Michael and I, you know, we, we split the ownership 50, 50, and then, and then minus whatever we were, you know, from individual restaurants had to sell off to raise the capital for individual restaurants. That was the first restaurant where it was really like, we wrote the business plan and raised the cash and, you know, went through that process completely ourselves um, without, you know, without being like a minority partner with someone leading the way. And then, um, yeah, so, so uh, I've kind of owned restaurants in different iterations of what that means for 
the last 15 years or so. Got it. 20 years. So I think the, the restaurant industry is fascinating to me. We have a bunch of restaurateurs that come on this show all the time. And, you know, we went through this crazy time of restaurants when you opened a new restaurant during a pretty wild time to open up a restaurant. And now we're going through with food pricing and whatnot, we're going through another crazy time for restaurants. You know, tell me high level, what, what is the state of the restaurant business right now, the restaurant industry? Um, you know, I feel like the restaurant industry is in a perpetual kind of renaissance where, you know, it's just, there's always a, there's always a, a massive kind of like, um, uh, headwind and either you're paddling your ass off or you're getting kind of like swept away. And that's just the state of, that's just the status quo for restaurants in general. And then that headwind sometimes is a bit of a tornado, like we saw in the last year or so, um, or it can be just kind of a mild, frustrating annoyance. But the restaurant industry is never a coast. You, know, you can never kind of coast along, unfortunately. Um, and so, you know, that's why so many restaurants are constantly changing hands and going out of business and folks don't quite, quite, quite make it over the kind of like capital, you know, capital hill that you need to get get going. Um, I'd say that right now is a really, is a really great, you know, it's a great moment of opportunity for the restaurant business. Um, if you're in the business, there's a lot of opportunity out there. <clears throat> I think, um, you know, ultimately, like always, the best operators with the best concepts and the, and the most passion and hardest working will will come out on top. It, that's the fun. The fun thing about the restaurant business is like, it really is a, um, it's, <laughs> it's very unforgiving. And so you know exactly um, how hard you're working and how well you're doing. Like when you're not doing well, it tells you right away um, and there's no excuses. So, you know, <laughs> like there are one restaurant's going out of business, one restaurant's thriving and there's no question why. It's like one is better than the other. Sure. One of the things that I do say, though, today is I, I think restaurants have, it's become, I think every day it gets harder because I, I, I think the, I think what people think of like good restaurant, like I think it starts with the food. I think that's just the table stakes today. Like if you don't have good food, you better not even like try right? Like that's just the table stakes. That doesn't make a restaurant great anymore. It's a part of it, right? Like I, I remember, and you're in the pizza business, but we always used to say, and we deal with a lot of pizza operators, like, you know, the first step into having a successful pizza place is you need to make really good pizza. And I think there's still a lot of truth to that, but I also think it's, it, it's more than that now, right? Depending on what sector of restaurant you play in, whether that's on the higher end and it's really about the experience, whether it's on, you know, a lower end and it's really, you know, about the convenience or the tech enabled restaurant. There's a lot of different things happening in the restaurant. And one of the things I keep coming to is it's not just about the food anymore. 
I don't disagree with you, although, um, you know, it's hard because I, I'm 43 years old. So, you know, my, um, my, I, I don't really have like a thousand years of experience or a hundred years of vision to kind of see exactly what it really was like to have a restaurant in the forties or the fifties or the sixties. Um, you know, what I can say is that more people eat at restaurants and fewer people cook at home than ever before. Um, so there are more customers um, and that's it's definitively a, a good thing. Um, you know, I think that the way that people interact with restaurants and eat um, and choose restaurants has changed really quickly. Um, and so there's been a big adjustment, um, which, we, which we have to kind of understand. Um, and I think that for a lot of, you know, the, what I like to say is that like, look, man, for the last, in, in two years ago, what I said was for the last 10 years, the restaurant industry um, has outpaced population growth by 10 to one. So like restaurant openings have, have grown faster. So, you know, there were just more seats than there were asses to put in them. And that was, wow. Um, is that the stat? I've never heard I don't of that really, stat before. That's what I, that's what I, that's what I heard. And I've, and I've, and I've regurgitated. I haven't actually done the math, but like it, it you know, in the, in the nine, like, I guess the, the early 2000s, something like that, mid 2000s, you started to see, um, you started to see, um, uh, capital infusions into restaurant groups that yeah. didn't happen before. Like, you know, in the back in the day, a restaurant was kind of like not a worthwhile investment. So folks wouldn't consider putting, um, what do they call that capital? Uh, there's like a, there's a word for it. It's just early in the morning in LA. So my brain isn't quite working, um, but you couldn't get, um, you know, you couldn't get like, you know, private equity or, or bank, bank loans, or, you know, that, that was just too risky, considered too risky. And then, you know, a couple of events um, kind of changed all that. We started to see that uh, there was an opportunity where the like McDonald's in the world of the world, the you know big big kind of like big groups started to lose um, their foothold, and maybe the people started to you know want want other options. Um, you know, there was like a big artisan movement where a lot of folks were talking about, you know, like handmade artisan craft. And so kind of like the bigger companies started to lose popularity. And there was this opportunity for the smaller companies to start to kind of take, grab, grab up some market share. And between that and, you know, like there were a couple of things like Chipotle for a minute there was trading at like 60 to one earnings, you know, and then, you know, everybody's talking about Shake Shack going public. That was more recently, but, you know, there's like a lot of like, it was like, oh, we see a path to investing in restaurants and then, um, uh, and then, you know, seeing that, you know, five, 10 year capital horizon where we get a lot of cash out. So it's worth putting it in. And then all of a sudden everybody's getting a lot of money with the caveat that they got to open a bunch of restaurants and they've got a you know, private equity company on their board saying you got to take Maine on Maine for Maine for, for real estate. So they're fighting for the, you know, and they're saying, well, I don't know if this is really sustainable financially for us to pay this top dollar rent plus these price increases with the understanding that like you can't raise your prices in a restaurant at the, at the, at the, at, at, you can't raise your prices at a restaurant um, consistently with inflation, the cost of living and, infl and inflation and, you know, your cost of um, your rent increase. So you wind up slowly but surely kind of, you know, etching into your, etching into your profit center. And that, you know, that became a big challenge coupled with computers and credit cards, right? So like, 
at the same time as that's all happening, um, you've got you've got credit cards um, replacing cash for 80%, 70% of sales for most restaurants, right? And between credit cards and computers, the government knows exactly how much cash you're bringing in. So like I had a friend that had like 30, 40 diners in Jersey. And uh, I was like, whatever happened to your diner business? He was like, you know, taxes. All of a sudden we had to start paying taxes because, you know, the restaurant business wasn't always 100% above board business. A lot of folks were, you know, even, even the top kind of like tier restaurants were the the waiters weren't weren't were weren't um claiming their tips as you know as income for income tax purposes so they were getting paid 25 30% more than you know they they took a 25 30% pay decrease when they started having to pay taxes which happens when you have credit card and computer, you know, transaction details to, you can see exactly how much money came and the government wants it. Um, so like all of a sudden you've got people paying higher rents. You've got the government taking a bunch of cash that they weren't taking before, whether they should have or not. Um, and then, you know, the shift towards all of this happened because people started replacing their home cooked meals with these restaurant meals. So restaurant, like when I was a kid, even was a special occasion meal or like only rich people went to restaurants and then, or it was McDonald's. Then all of a sudden operators came in and said, well, wait a second, like people don't want to cook at home. We can make inexpensive meals that are good quality to replace it. So that was great. And people still rest. There was like this giant proliferation. Um, and then the apps happened and all of a sudden people just stopped going, going out very suddenly so it was like you know a lot of restaurants um that are operating on a very thin margin and then all and then the app, people stopped go, going going out and so the whole thing kind of was really a house of cards that was starting to teeter right before the pandemic you know before the pandemic we were all sitting around going this is not sustainable restaurants the restaurant business is not sustainable the profit you know it used to be gold standard profit was 20 percent um, and then everybody was talking about if you can get 8%, you're in great shape. Um, and obviously there are exceptions to the rule, but like, you know, if you're a betting man and you're opening a business, like, you know, you want to bet that you're going to be in the top 3% and that's the only way you're going to survive. And otherwise you're going to be shoveling shit. Well, you know, I, I have a lot of confidence in myself, but like, I also don't love shoveling shit. <laughs> so that's where that's kind of where we were a few years ago. So I think that the pandemic, while it was obviously devastating and tons of folks had, you know, I mean, forget the loss of life, but also just, you know, it was just it just devastated so many people. So I don't want to say it was a good thing, but certainly the restaurant industry, it was not the only it was not the only reason that the restaurant industry needed or, or you know, had a resizing rebirth, but it was a catalyst that or, or it was, you know, it was the last straw that broke the camel's back on a, on a, on a, on a, on a resizing that was in, that was happening. It was happening either way. It was just, it was just a little faster because all of a sudden, you know, then really nobody came out to restaurants and we had to close. Got it. Um, Basically, it's a shit business. Um, it's a shit, just a shit business. And I, I think about it every day. I love working in restaurants. I love it. I have so much fun. I love my team. I work with great guys. They're, they're just, it's, I have a group, I have, I have fun at work. I eat delicious food. 
I feed people. They have a great time. My customers are happy. And I'm, I'm not a rich man and I don't need to be a rich man. I don't want to be a rich man. I'm happy with what I have. So it's wonderful for me. But like, you know, for all like the business minded folks that are thinking that like we should get into this business, it's just, it's a challenging business and it's not the easiest one. And I think it's, you know, I, you should think twice. <laughs> uh yeah i hear you um so <laughs> i hear you we are going to take a quick break here and now a word from one of our sponsors complete solutions and sourcing inc is a customer-centric comprehensive managed waste service provider independently owned and operated we are the experts in waste and recycling solutions with a key competitive difference, our boutique approach. We are driven by our desire to support the commercial real estate industry's owners, landlords, and managers as they navigate the ever-changing and challenging waste industry. We are honored to work with some of the industry's top brands to strategically craft, implement, and manage some of the most impactful waste programs available today as we reshape the waste industry and lead our clients to their diversion goals. Is your waste program complete? Contact us at complete.com, C-O-M-P-L-T.com, and let the experts at Complete Solutions reduce the environmental impact of your waste program. So I want to talk a little bit about, that was a great perspective on the restaurant industry and the changes and the evolution and what's going on. I want to talk a little bit about Danny Boys. So tell me how this evolved and how, Danny Boy's famous original pizza ended up in uh, Los Angeles. Um, and I hope, do you have like, do you have some thin New York style pizza there? Can I get that? We have, um, yeah, we have what I would consider, like, you know, when you think about food on authenticity is a weird word with food because it's constantly shifting. So I think authenticity, you have to like pick up moment in time and say it's authentic to this space and this time. So I think that we have, our pizzeria is authentic to like 90s New York City pizzeria, but it's not really because I think the pizza is a little further evolved quality wise than what what most places were doing at that time, as far as like the understanding of fermentation and stuff of that nature. So I think the crust is a little bit like more mature than maybe you would find, but it's a traditional New York City pizzeria like that, you know, and when I was listening to like the Beastie Boys, I would have been, I would have been eating for you know, on my bicycle on my way to high school. Got it. Okay. So give me the story. How did, how did, how did Danny boys give it to me everything? What were you doing and how did Danny boys end up? I, I found, I found myself with a little bit of cash in my pocket and I moved out to Los Angeles to be closer to my family. My wife and I were ready to kind of like step away from New York city. Um, I was, uh, I had hired a CEO to run the meatball shop and, and, um, you know, uh, it was tough for me to have been so intimately in control of a business and then all of a sudden kind of give up uh, control and not be tempted to micromanage. So I thought a little bit of space was in order. There's also a little bit of challenge with just the politics of New York City opening a restaurant. I needed a, I needed a change of scenery. Um, LA is a more difficult place to open and operate a restaurant than New York in my short experience, but, um, uh, but it's a different type of challenge and anytime there's a challenge it's fun to learn and overcome so like I needed a change of scenery and I moved out here and I was feeling a little bit um 
uncertain of exactly what I wanted to do. And the pizzeria was a bit, it was like an interim project. You know, it was like, what can I do that I was just running this business that had a ton of employees and I was kind of at a, on a managerial level, three, you know, chain members separate from the actual customer. And it wasn't that much fun. And I had kind of lost a little bit of the magical experience of, of what's so wonderful about a restaurant, like the feedback loop of I, I make this food and I feed it to somebody and I see their face and they, they like it, they thank me. I get their money and I feel like I've accomplished something. I actually I clean my hands and I start again. And like every day I get to see a thousand of those like closed loops, whereas every other business is such a, such a slog, like very hard to ever, you know, find yourself having accomplished anything. It's like challenging. So sitting in LA without not, without, you know, real, really, really with no certainty of exactly what I wanted to do, but, you know, knowing that the restaurant business was something I was familiar and comfortable with, I was looking at maybe maybe buying a building and trying to open something a little bit of a, a little bit bigger. The LA market it takes like three years to 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 turn a restaurant around here. It's really challenging time wise from permitting perspective. It's just challenging. Um, it can take longer. It can take I'm sure shorter, but and so the pizzeria seemed like a little bit more of a manageable project, bite size, something that I could physically manage myself, hire everybody, make the food, you know, really have the experience of being in touch with the, the, the energy of the restaurant on a personal level. And so I set out looking for a, um, looking, looking for a, a, a pizzeria. Um, the challenge is that, you know, New York City supports the pizzerias because of the foot traffic, right? It's like, it's just a slice. You grab a slice because it's a snack, it's a meal. It's a, it fills so many kind of purposes. LA has tacos for that. Um, uh-huh. You know, tacos are the, are the pizza of, of LA. Um, and there aren't a ton of kind of high foot traffic um, areas that might support a by the slice operation. You got to sell a lot of pizza, pizza by the slice to kind of, to, to, to feed your family. Um, and so, you know, I hired a real estate um, broker um, uh, who, you know, um, is just phenomenal. She, she's the, I think the top real estate, you know, restaurant real estate person in Los Angeles, maybe in the country, you know, from a, from, from a service perspective, she just knows every single corner on every block. She's intimately familiar with every landlord. Um, she's a, she's really great. So it's like called the 33 group. Um, Rachel Rosenberg is her name. You know, okay. I think she put like all the Chipotles in LA or something like that for a, helped build one of the what kind of like big um, real estate companies, you know, California and Los Angeles portfolio that stepped out um, on her own. She has a small company, but if you're in the restaurant world and you want a space, I'd say, you know, she understands, as a New Yorker, I understand the, how it works. But outside of New York, I don't know how to navigate why one space is better than the other. LA all looks like a one big strip mall and it's very hard to decipher why one's cool and one's not. They all kind of look the same. And it's challenging to understand how the traffic patterns give more visibility to one location over another. So I kind of put myself in her hands and I said, look, I, I think I want to do this pizzeria and where should I put it? And she had been working on this project um, 
uh, uh, for Brookfield Properties, downtown Los Angeles. They had just recently um, kind of put a ton of cash into um, uh, um, cleaning up a, 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 a huge atrium in one of the bigger building complexes downtown um, that had been a kind of a food court food hall that had a California pizza kitchen and a McDonald's. And I think they wanted to see a, a change um, and maybe an update. And so she said they were looking for a pizzeria and it could be perfect because of the foot traffic, et cetera. And so I set about meeting with them and I had in my entire experience of working in restaurants, um, never wanted to work in a, in a mall. I never wanted to be part of a project where I, where, where I had to rely on other people to attract foot traffic and I couldn't succeed on my own. I was just scared of that responsibility, you know, like putting that responsibility and trust in somebody else. You know, if you're in a mall, you're saying, you know, the mall pay, you, you pay a lot because they're saying we're gonna bring you people, but if they screw up and they stop bringing you people, like you're kind of screwed. There's nothing you can really do about it. So I was very nervous about that. But um, looking at it and spending time down there, it was, it's just a gangbuster location. I mean, it's like, it would be like if you could open a, a restaurant in Midtown Manhattan, you're like, there's just so many people here. Um, this was a little bit before the pandemic made office life less exciting. So I, I, um, I worked with them and we negotiated a really wonderful lease that Brookfield has been amazing to work with. Um, it's a big company, which I was also nervous about, you know, but I've had consistent con con contacts there. You know, I was like, I don't think, feel like I'm going to make a deal with somebody and then somebody else is going to show up. I'm going to have like no idea who they are, but I've had really consistent contacts and they've been great. And, um, and so I signed a lease and then um, we started construction. And then with the pandemic uh, kind of starting, we hit pause for like a year and a half or something like that. It was pretty, pretty intense. Wow. Um, why'd you hit pause? Because, you know, when I say this is a corporate location, I mean, this is where we're at the base of a corporate office building. We don't, we're not actually on the street. So the only way to get to our restaurant is, is in, is through this atrium at the, at the base of this, these, these two giant office towers. And the atrium was, was, was closed to the public and within like a, you know, half mile radius, there's no residential. So it, it would be like, Open, trying to open a restaurant, you know, there was, it was like crickets and tumbleweeds. There was not a soul in set. I was the only person there. It was incredible. Like they had some security people in, in, in some of the outside, but I would roam around downtown LA. Like there's downtown that you see on the news where it's like tent villages and like homeless people, you know, um, uh, taking drugs and, and crime adult streets. That's, that's, this is, I'm up a hill from there where, you know, only a very industrious and hardworking, you know, uh, criminal would, would, would climb the stairs to go rob someone and there's no one up there. So it's just empty and um, nobody there. Wow. So what time period did you take the pause? At the very beginning of the pandemic, um, you know, when it, when it became, I was, I was planning on opening, I don't remember the date, but like I was planning on opening in like, july and i think the pandemic happened in like may or something like that so i stopped then I mean, we had a fully built out restaurant um and i just stopped i said we're not gonna we can't open um and then 
you know, was like, I sent down a letter to the investors going like, we're just going to take a couple weeks off like everybody else did, you know? And then, um, you know, my timing couldn't have been, I was just lucky. I got very lucky because we had, it was, we were ready to open. I hadn't hired the team yet. The thing about that I've learned about restaurants, the number one mistake everybody makes is they hire their team too early, right? So they think like, they hire their, they're eager, they hire their team too early, then construction is always delayed or something gets screwed up. You don't get your permits, the gas doesn't get turned on. And so they're like, wow, we just hired our own team, we can't fire everybody. But labor cost is the number one biggest, you know, line item on your P&L. So like, there's you just burn through money paying for a bunch of people that you can't utilize. You're, they get grumpy because they got nothing to do and nothing more grumpy than an employee that's standing around with nothing to do. Um, and so you wind up just burning through cash for a team that ends up not working anyway. Um, and then when you do open, you don't have cash for a new team and you go out of business. So I wait until like two weeks before my restaurant opens to hire my team. I just like literally two weeks before the restaurant and everybody, it feels very scary to be opening a restaurant in two weeks and having not one employee, like only having a general manager, but that's just kind of the way you do it. Um, these are paycheck to paycheck people so like if you you know you can't skip a paycheck and we can't afford to pay you well you're not working um and so i just didn't have any team i was just sitting there by myself and we just didn't open it was kind of kind of great i mean i've never normally when you open a restaurant it's like you're you're in this mad you're literally kicking the construction guys in the ass when sweeping up while you're putting food and they're walking here it was like i, I had for like two years almost i had a fully built out restaurant ready to open it was great Wow. And then, so it was fully built out. When did you decide and what was the deciding factor to help you like, all right, now's the time. You know, I kind of said, well, I feel like when, when the last was last year in like, you know, June or something, I thought, well, if I open in July or maybe in May, I thought if I open in July, I think that by September, folks are going to go back to the office. I'll open in July. We'll have two months of slow, kind of gentle runway. During that time, I will, um, you know, uh, I'll get to like train my staff and learn, learn, you know, figure out what we're doing. And then people come back to the office. So I did that and it seemed to work. September was started. People started to come back to the office, October, November was actually a decent month. And then December, we had that like, um, um, Necrom fucking thing, whatever that, their varietal variant. Yep. I'm a doctor. Um, and it was like, it was like curtains, you know, it, that what was crazy is, you know, we closed between Christmas and New Year's. Um, and then I can't, and like we had staffed up through December because it was getting busier and busier. And I was like, okay, we're going to go into January, we're going to expand our hours. It's going to happen. And like we came back and it was just like crickets again, nobody there. So we had to, you know, I had to, to, um, consider to make some hard decisions as far as team members were concerned and really cut back to a skeleton crew. Um, and, you know, I learned early on in the restaurant world that we are constantly, we're constantly um, making excuses for ourselves and saying, well, you know, when sales grow, you know, we'll be able to, we'll be able to cover these costs and we're just waiting for sales to grow. But the reality is that if you're not profitable now, there's no profitable in the future. You just, you just have to be, you have to be really straightforward with yourself and you just have to make it work at whatever number is coming in. Um, 
And so we, we scaled back to just a, just a couple, couple people in the kitchen and that was it. And we, we stayed open and, you know, we broke even or lost a little bit of money uh, for a few months. And then come February, March, it started to pick back up and, and we've been just growing ever since. It's been very positive, very, very positive. Uh, amazing. And so backing up a little bit, you, you mentioned investors, what type of investors are, are these investors in the business? Is it family, friends? Is it, did you take on like private equity or something like that? No, you know, these are non-accredited investors. Um, so, you know, when you go to raise money, you kind of like either have to like put a lot of paperwork together and, and have like an offering that goes out to the public, or you can have like, um, you know, just a smaller kind of paperwork uh, that you put together for folks who, you know, know what they're getting into. Um, and it's not like a public offering. It's not going to a lot of people, right? There's no like FCC or F what is it? FCC um, filing. Um and so, you know, I'd say it's not quite friends and family, but, um, you know, an intimate um, circle of folks, you know, look, you look, I, I work in this restaurant right now. I got this pizzeria. There's a bunch of law firms and a bunch of, you know, rich folks that live in the neighborhood and they come in and they say, hey, this pizza is delicious. You ever, ever want to open another one? Um, let me know. I'd love to invest. And you say, yeah, awesome. What's your number? You take their number down. And then when you're ready to do the next one, you call them up and, you know, not all of them, a few of them come along. A few of the people that you worked with in the past come along. And I think there's a nice balance. Like you don't want to have a huge, huge group of people all giving you 10 bucks, busting your chops, but you also, it's nice to have the support of a team of, of people that can help you. Yeah, for sure. Um, so that, that was getting started. You... Why, you know, you mentioned the tacos or the pizza of LA, you know, you've had a, you've been involved in a bunch of different restaurants, whether it was a French restaurant, meatball, why pizza? Something that I'm, that, that I love, that I'm passionate about and something that I thought was under, um, underrepresented in LA was New York style pizza. Um, you know, I didn't see uh, an example of the pizza that I remember from my childhood that I love and, and wanted, um. Uh, so I thought that was a, an, an underserved market for that. Um, something that was fun for me to learn how to make, you know, really spend, you know, when you work in and you do something, uh, working in a restaurant is a craft, right? And as a craftsperson, the goal is you got to, you got to do it over and over and over again to get good at it. And there's no chance that you could do enough of it, um, as a hobby to get really great at it, um, without, I guess, being a crazy person. So. It was just a fun thing to spend the time to learn how to make. I always wanted, you know, being a great baker, learning how to deal with dough. And it's really, it's fascinating. It's spectacularly fun. It's as close to alchemy as you can get. You know, you're, you're taking flour and water and turning it into something that's so much greater, greater than the sum of its parts. And, the, and my brand in general is just, is I, like to, I like to feed people great food at a, at a fair price. It's, it's just something, there's something... I was, I didn't have a lot of dough as a kid and my pop was a woodworker and we had to go through the service entrance of buildings. And I hated the, I hated being a second-class citizen and not having access to great quality um, and watching the folks, the, the haves have so much more than the have nots and pizza is an opportunity where I can say, listen, like 
literally I can, I can pay, you can pay me the same amount as you know, like a, as like firemen and Bill Gates get to pay the same amount and get the same quality and it's both and it's, and it's, and it's best in class. And that's wonderful. Excellent, man. Excellent. So now, you know, we're in 2022, the restaurant's still doing well. The restaurant's now finally doing really well. We're, you know, we're the, the, the PL looks great. It's very healthy. Um, you know, now it's a question of whether we want to, when we are ready and whether we want to grow the business or whether we're happy having one location, which, you know, is a really nice position to be. Um, <clears throat> when you take the capital from, you know, an outside source, you are, you're, you're pressured because your interests aren't always aligned. As a restaurant owner, you know, I can make, you know, whatever it is, a, a reasonably fair living, certainly by most Americans, a, a really good living, standard living from one restaurant. And I can, and I can work there and, and I can have a nice life. And I can push myself and open another one and make more and have more fun. Um, but challenges come with that. And then when you have institutional money behind you, you don't really have a choice because their interest is only um, fulfilled if if you if you grow fast enough to you know outpace their their investment horizon, um, which is a challenge. So it's nice to be in a position to say I, I'm in a position where I can open another one, and I might not want to. So that's kind of fun. Very cool. Um, so that said. Are you still invested in the in the restaurants that are San Francisco, the East Coast, or are you out of those? Yeah, no, no, I have a piece of them. Absolutely, absolutely. And are you? Do you think there's opportunity for more Danny Boys? Yeah, I think that there's definitely opportunity. I mean, I know that there's opportunity for it. I think that without, you know, I don't want to be like a braggart or anything. I'm very, very proud of the quality of the product we're putting out. I think it's best in class. And, um, and I think that it's recognized that way already. I mean, people are really, really, really offer a lot of positive feedback. The pizza business is a business that works. Um, it works in all economies. It works for, 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 it works for delivery. It works for dine-in. Um, it works in small towns and works in big cities. So there's no question that I would like to see that. I uh, see that as an opportunity. Um, it's just a question of what I'm trying to understand for myself exactly what I want to be doing every single day. I know I don't want to sit in an office. And so I don't want to put myself in that position. Excellent, man. Um, well, great story. Um, excited that the restaurant is doing well. Uh, when I'm in LA, I'm definitely going to get there. Uh, what's the, what's the, What's the hottest pizza right now? Is it plain pizza? What's the hottest pizza right now? The hottest pizza like genre right now? Yeah. I think square. Square, you know, the square slices right now. People are into the focaccia square slice with that double pep, you know, cupping pepperoni. That's what, that's the hottest pizza on the market. Interesting. You know, that's where, you know, Prince Pizza in New York really put a, put, put their flag in the ground and, you know, started to expand and everybody, everybody kind of discovered this pan pizza, thick, thick pan pizza, Detroit style pizza thick you know risen focaccia double baked a lot of cheese a lot of pepperoni pepperoni pizza outsells cheese pizza three to one in la wow 
Yeah. Why is that? Um, I think because it's absolutely delicious. And I think that the tradition of pizza doesn't exist in the same way as it did in New York. You know, Pizza by the Slice was invented in New York. So it's really a New York thing. New York is, has a special. And then as the Italian diaspora kind of spread out, they changed the, 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 the taste of the pizza based on local taste and local and using local ingredients. And by the time it gets to LA, um, it's, there, it's, a, it's a big game of telephone. So there's been a lot of you know, iteration between. And uh, the folks in LA, love pepperoni and pepperoni tastes good. And there isn't like a pure, there's, there's no, like, you know, New York is a little bit puritanical about its pizza. LA isn't. Got it. Well, listen, man, I really, I've enjoyed hearing your story. Um, you know, it's funny you mentioned Brookfield. Uh, I didn't know they were your landlord. No Brookfield pretty well. And, uh, you know, we're, we're smaller than Brookfield, but we're in the same business as Brookfield. So to give you some context of what I do. Um, and listen, this has been great. You've, uh, I think you've given a lot of insight on the restaurant industry and, you know, what it was like and some of the challenges in opening a store, a restaurant in the, the middle of a global pandemic. So kudos to you. And uh, when I get out there, I got to come try Slice of hot pie, man. Hope to uh, hope to see you soon. Maybe you'll um, reserve one of those uh, spots in Jersey for a Danny Boys. You know, you, <laughs> I, I hear I hear you got some um, real estate opportunity. Yeah, man. All right. Later, bud. Take care. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to Retail Retold. If you want to share a story about a retail real estate deal that you were a part of on our show please reach out to us at retailretold at dlcmgmt.com. This show highlights the stories behind the deals from all perspectives. So it doesn't matter if you are a retailer, broker, entrepreneur, architect, or an attorney. Also, don't forget to subscribe to Retail Retold so you don't miss out on next Thursday's episode.